welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, episode number 100. And as a special feature for all y'all and myself, uh, Josh knows the man we're going to talk to tonight. Uh, we have Opti on from the Legends of Earth Dawn and other things involved with Earth Dawn and other games, uh, including his own company. So tonight we will be do- talking about all things optical, optimistical, or optometrical. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. But we're at least going to talk to Opti tonight. And so if you have any questions for us after the fact that we're going to answer on Opti's behalf without him, uh, feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, your friend and mine, Opti, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. Uh, and if you're hearing, I, I, I can see scratch in my head because I've listened to your voice like for what now, 50 hours, 100 hours, something like that uh, on, on the Legends of Earth on podcast. And so I've heard him. I've heard you be scratch. And so I have this image in my head of what scratch looks like. It's going to be not the one you have in your head, but I have this image in my head of scratch. Every time I hear your voice, I think scratch. So I'm getting used to your icon on the screen. And that's a whole different experience because I'm like, that's not what scratch looks like. So the image of scratch I have in my head is the one from mystic paths where, Oh yeah. Where, where the image of scratch appears, which I was really uh, quite enamored with when it came out. Yeah. No, I, I love your essay. I love your contribution to the whole thing. And I don't think there was anybody who could have done it better because uh, you, know, you created it, therefore let you do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly was given parameters, but yeah, Scratch is one of my yeah, favorite I mean, RPG characters I've ever played in my come life. Come on, man. That's just, <laughs> That's so I'm good. holding the picture to the screen so you can see it because I'm, I'm, no one else yeah. is getting the visuals here, but this is just awesome. Yeah. That's just I, cool. can't, I can't wait. Uh, the most recent stuff that we're recording is, is so. It's so incredible. I can't oh, wait for y'all to hear it. Well, I'm waiting to hear it. Waste down the road. Yes, I've offered, I've offered my I've offered <laughs> okay. my help to actually get uh, uh, Cliff to give me the audio so that I can edit it and help you publish the stuff because I'm chomping at the bit to hear it all as well. So, oh well, then yeah. maybe I'll I'll put that bug in his ear tomorrow when I talk to him. Yeah. So I'm I'm offering my assistance if it's possible there at all. So uh, let's. Back up a few steps, since this is my first time meeting you. This is probably anybody else's first time meeting you who doesn't listen to the Legends of Earth Dawn podcast. Um, how'd you get, A, into writing for Earth Dawn, and B, how'd you meet Josh, and then C, let's go over your gaming career before that. Those are oddly all very different answers. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So I met Josh, I think, Josh will correct me. Uh, I think the first time I met Josh was in P.F. Chang's in Indianapolis when Josh had a meeting schedule with Russell Zimmerman and I was tagging along. Um, and of course, I was familiar with Earth Dawn, mostly because of the connection with Shadowrun and I'd been doing some Shadowrun stuff for a while. Uh, and so that was me sort of geeking out that I was um, having lunch with Josh And then that became a sort of yearly thing where Josh and Rusty and I would get together before Gen Con and uh, eat at P.F. Chang. So that's how I met Josh. Um, How I came to Earth Dawn was, uh, I think, it's probably not atypical, but a lot of people come to Earth Dawn via Shadowrun. Uh, And I had been doing a Shadowrun podcast for a couple of years at that point. Uh, the Neo Anarchist podcast, which deals with the lore of the Shadowrun universe, which I leveraged when I met Jason Hardy, who was the line developer at Shadowrun, to get my foot in the door to start writing some Shadowrun material. So that's where my sort of RPG writing showed itself. And then Cliff, who is a friend of both of ours, who does uh, um, some Shadowrun podcasts, was going to start a Earth Dawn actual play podcast. And, uh, of course, invited Josh to be on that. And then he invited me to be on that, since um, Cliff and I invite each other to be on everything we were doing. And then, so that's how I got to know Josh fairly well. And then over time, obviously you mentioned Scratch, the Mm -hmm. uh, lovable orc troubadour. Um, Josh had offered, and Morgan, I don't know, is it Josh? Yeah, it must have been Josh offered to have me write that section on the fire eaters uh, for mystic paths. So that's, that's the long and and winding answer to your question. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It was, it was basically 
Morgan and I were talking about the Mystic Paths book, and Morgan was like, if you have anybody that you think would be good on that. And I, I said, well, I know because Rusty had already done some stuff with Questors. I know that Rusty would be up probably for writing stuff for that. But we've got this, you've got this concept for this orc racial path, the fire eaters. And if he's interested, I really want to see if Opti would want to tackle it. And Morgan was like, great. And I said, okay. And I asked you at Gen Con. Yeah. I think when like we were first talking about it, I like went up to you and I said, hey, this is what's working, what we're kind of working on. And if you're interested, we I I want you to write this. And you were like, okay. And we worked it out. And then you worked yeah. with Morgan. Yeah. That was a that was a very interesting Gen Con. Um, because the the my Shadowrun writing was taking off, and then you approached me with this, and then I got another uh, company that approached me with something writing a sort of weird West setting. And then I was like, I had that moment where like, is this it? Is my career taking off? And then like, after that, like I just stopped getting calls from everybody, <laughs> which is not true. I just, I'm, I'm playing around, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't end up going that direction as much as I thought I would after that. But I will say that working with Josh and Morgan, uh, at FASA has been, um, the most, life-giving experience that I've had writing for any company as far as fiction goes. Like as far, they are a, a very responsive and uh, very collaborative and we're just all together. Um, very, very cool to work with. Nice. And I tell everybody. You've said that You've said that multiple times with me in the room and I still blush a little bit when you yeah. say <laughs> Well, rightfully so. It's, I mean, like, and let's be honest, it's not super hard to be like the best people to work for in this industry. But it's still, it's still good. It's still an accomplishment because not everybody does it. So the bar is low, but Josh and Morgan are well excelling beyond that bar. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, the bar for like, hey, you get to write a tabletop role playing game that you really love. You know, yeah, for, that's for tens great... of dollars. Right. <laughs> and and yeah, but like, yeah. you're gonna do that, like Actually. at least be responsive like and, and i got paid well for that it was yeah it was i was gonna fine. say we we actually paid you more than tens of dollars but <laughs> yeah <laughs> tens of tens I, I mean like again nobody's going to and, and i say this with all respect to everybody involved like nobody's making a living doing this right like this is a side gig for almost all of us in in the biz yeah but like it doesn't matter as much if you are working with people that sh that are responsible that respect you and you're having fun and you're doing something that you like, right? The money becomes incidental at that point. Important, but still like secondary. Yeah. It's, and it's the contribution, I think that's the fun right. part. But, and but then the you, bottom like, line is, it's a check in, later on. You're like, Oh yeah, that was cool. So yeah. In the TTG, in the TTTTT, in the TTRPG space. Um, what normally happens though, is they're going to pay you very little and they're not going to respect your time or your talent or um, or anything else. That's just just a, my experience. Where I think that sounds like most creative endeavors. Actually, it's probably capitalism in general. <laughs> but I, I guess I expect the space that rescued so many of us to be better than that, right? Yeah, a space that sort of gave a bunch of the outcasts a place to belong. I guess I just expected better. And it, it grieves me that that wasn't the case, which I think brings me to why we're actually talking tonight. Oh, master of the segue. <laughs> he's bucking for my job. I can tell right now. He wants to host the podcast instead of me. I got you. I got you. No oh, desire to host he's, another he is podcast. Busy. He is a busy, busy man. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a hundred podcasts I'd love to host, but <laughs> no time. I can't, I can't get past two. If I could get two out, you know, uh, every month, that'd be great. No, fair. Uh, Josh invited me to host this one. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Great. And I am showing up every single day on my lack of knowledge that I've forgotten everything. And Josh's steel trap memory is a whole lot better than mine. So it is great having the line developer play with us. Um, that means I, I don't have to be as much of a rules person as I normally am. <laughs> Josh is heavy Yeah. I can hear Josh do some heavy lifting every once in a while on the on the rules on the on the podcast. Anyway, yes, part of the reason that one of the main reasons that I wanted to to bring you on when I talked with you back in September about yeah. coming on the show mm -hmm. was that you 
perhaps was this perhaps driven by your you know experiences working in the industry that you have established your own company correct yeah, yeah i was going to get to that that is more or less the reason yeah uh there there's a number of reasons i mean i guess i can i can say um nothing ever happen, happens in a vacuum but um the idea that the tabletop role playing game space creative space was getting so toxic um i just felt like we had to balance the scales so that's the, more or less the main reason why we started fragging unicorns games and launched with a at least numerically speaking pretty successful kickstarter gangs of the undercity yeah yeah gangs of the undercity um a cyberpunk fantasy miniature skirmish game that's a mouthful uh but something like necromunda uh with shatterrun skin <laughs> um is is sort of the elevator pitch but yeah we we launched that uh we took in 83,000 once everything was said and done and i don't want to you know bury the lead here but i will go ahead and just say that that wasn't enough uh, the last two years of COVID <laughs> have absolutely thrashed us. Uh, so we have learned a ton of lessons, which I know um, that that you at FASA have also learned a bunch of valuable lessons with your first Kickstarter out of the gate. Uh, so yeah, that's it's just um, the learning curve is steep. Uh, I think you'd agree. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say so. Well, I mean, starting your own company is is probably even a larger leap than having an established company to kickstart from and having a, a kind of an established base there. Sure. You went out on the whole limb by yourself and said, Hey, I got this thing with no base to work from. So that I applaud you and your courage in doing so. Yeah. I, uh, and I'll be the first to admit that I still don't know what I'm doing and I'm still just winging it all the time, but I, it's not like if I can do a little meta Tinkering here for a second. It's not like Opti, the brand, was unknown. You, you know, if that makes any sense, right? So it yeah, wasn't yeah. like I'm starting this company, you know, from true scratch. Whew, that's a little, that's a funny little tie. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had some name recognition in the space that was going to be interested in it, which yes. is the sort of secondary reason why. I did that because I knew uh, from being in the cyberpunk fantasy space that a miniatures game was something that people wanted and had been asking for for a long time. So I knew that the the market was there. Um, I knew that people like having Shadowrun type minis and I had name recognition in that space. So again, it wasn't like I was completely starting um, from scratch, but yeah. I was leveraging a lot of sort of the goodwill that I had built up throughout the years yeah you were a known property but not within the industry a little bit but yeah. not to the general public as to who you were correct so, yeah and, that, so, and that's what i found like lately like i'll say there's a like we launched our web store today officially um now that we've fulfilled all of our kickstarter rewards at least the, yeah. the main ones we still have some stretch goals and, and whatnot but now that the uh, the main two-player box has been fulfilled. We put the two-player box up on our website, launched our website, and like you know, posted everywhere on social media today. Like, hey, our website's up, blah blah blah, and like no hits at all, right? Like no sales at all today. So it's 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 a weird space, right? Kickstarting is a weird thing, and launching a company is a weird thing, and um, you know, you know, trying to reach out and do marketing and blah 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 during COVID is a weird thing. So, like yeah. again, we're we're still in the midst of it, learning everything along the way. Well, let's see if we can give you a small bump so people can pause their show right now and then go to your website. What is your website? Braggingunicorns.com. F R A G G I N G. Yeah, that's right. Unicorns, right. just Fragging like the unicorns. unicorns. Yeah. Or you can search online for Gangs of the Undercity, and that'll get you there as well. You've got all sorts of cyberpunk uh, fantasy swag and, and games and miniatures. I've got so, yeah, my... Go spend lots of money. Yeah, everybody, all right. everybody who's got it is, is very happy with it. Like, So we haven't had anybody say like, hey, I'm not, uh, I'm not happy with the product. So that's encouraging. Um, we just need to find out. Again, this is the... Again, it feels like every couple of months I'm learning a completely new skill 
from scratch because I didn't yeah. know anything before. Um, and now I'm in that process of, of figuring out uh, distribution and marketing. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a steep learning curve. They're all, they're all steep. <laughs> well, both of those are There's steep no learning curves. Doing, yeah. Doing them together is even harder. Yeah. Like and then of course like we're trying to, trying to have other games in development along the way. And you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot to juggle. Yeah, it is. Again, I applaud you for your courage. I am sorry that it's such a steep learning curve, but again, you've got people like Josh and others to rely on to help you through all that. And so uh, you'll get there. I do. Uh, like the Beatles said, I get by with a little help from my friends. Yes, absolutely. I so, just tapped into the, to the cultural zeitgeist right there. Well, Joe oh, Cocker, yeah. man. See, I see how you did that. The, the, current, yeah. the current Beatles zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> Look, totally. the Beatles are evergreen. All the kids are listening to the Beatles, right? <laughs> well, who's that at the door? Why, why it's Disney Plus with a big truckload of money. I just yeah, watched that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not a fan of the Beatles, then Get Back is going to bore you to tears. But if you like the Beatles, then Get Back is going to be fascinating. Absolutely. So, My yeah. brother was a huge fan of the Beatles, especially George Harrison. So mm -hmm. one of those, one of these days I'll, I'll sit down and... It's, it's... Like nine hours. Oh yeah, I, I heard it's lengthy. Yeah, it's, it's huge. But again, I watched I watched it all, and I was like, "This is cool." My wife's like, "This looks boring as hell." What are you doing? <laughs> like, I can't I can't explain it. I can't explain why this is fascinating. But it it would be it would be like a non gamer sitting in at one of the like Gen Con dinners, like at the table, like when we had dinner this past year at um, where did we end up? Was it Buka? Oh, Buka de Beppo, yeah. Yes, finally. Like, you know, with like nine or ten of us around the table and various like all sort of gaming adjacent conversations going on. Totally. You know, I imagine people who are interested in that would be like fascinated, maybe. Um, <laughs> Possibly. I, you know, I, I, I still, you know, wonder how people actually have any interest in anything I have to say. Um, but I've been doing this for a while now, so apparently there is something to it. Um, but somebody who isn't into that would like be sitting there going, oh, my God. Yeah, why is this interesting? What what exactly. is going on here? Yeah. Every everybody every nerdy thing has its own little niche. So there are sports nerds and they have their own little sports niche and they look down on the rest of us and we have our gaming nerds and we have our gaming niche and we don't care about the other things. And there's comic niche and movie niche and music niche, whatever. Everyone's got their thing. That's all there is to it. Yes. So. My wife likes football and <laughs> I just don't get it. Oh, who's her team? <laughs> she likes the Bears. Really, I'm a Vikings yeah. fan. Yeah, and I, I, she'll talk, and and she'll talk. I mean, I get, I hear it, right? Like I hear the way she's talking is the way that I talk about other stuff. But like, it's it's it just goes completely over my head. I don't understand anything she says. But it's um, that's right. Yeah, I'm no, glad my wife, I was a huge reader. She'll talk to me about authors. I'm, she's like, you know, the author, right? I'm like, I have never heard that name before in my life. <laughs> nope. <laughs> It happens, but I, I kind of, I, I, I smatter my interest over all kinds of different things. So I do a little, little sports, little comics, little gaming, little reading. So I'm, yeah, I pulse on a couple things. Not Renaissance a man. I try. <laughs> all right. Some hard hitting questions here for you, Opti. Okay. Hard hitting so, questions, you say. Hard hitting questions. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so you talked about how this whole thing was a learning experience, the, the learning curve. What are a couple of things that you wish you had known going into it that would have that you feel would have prepared you better? I, I could really cop out and say, I wish I would have known about COVID. Getting um, <laughs> that aside. Yeah, I mean, like the supply chain disruption with COVID has, I, I mean, just absolutely wreaked havoc um, on our profit margin. <laughs> so aside from that, um, I think some of the things I wish I had known was, number one, um, don't put shipping on the Kickstarter. <laughs> put mm -hmm. shipping later, right? Say, you know, when we're ready, then we'll charge you for shipping. Yeah. Um, that, that is absolutely, you know, what I would have done. The second thing is, and I'm talking about Kickstarter now because that's sort of how we launched this one. Um, mm -hmm. but I would also say 
not so many stretch goals, just cut way down on the stretch goals. Um, and then third, I think is, uh, I would have gone back and said, Hey, layout is going to be about 10 times as expensive as you think it's going to be. <laughs> so, so make sure that you, uh, get that, <clears throat> get that in place. I think those are honestly the three things that I just, I just didn't know that I didn't know. Um, and then of course the, the manufacturing and shipping, they all have hidden costs, right? So when you're making your budget, you just don't know that you're going to be nickel and dimed like every over and over and over again for every single thing. You know, like when you go to the bank to to uh, send a, a payment overseas because your layout person or your fulfillment agency, you know, is is um, not in the Americas and your bank's going to charge you an extra three or five percent, you know, whatever to, to do that. Like, I just didn't know that. Right. Or my bank is a credit union and I would have opened up a non-credit union bank account so that I could do the ACH payments more easily. Or I would have just, you know, known what kind of boxes to show, what, what these boxes are called so that I could easily, you know, price them out. Or there's just so many little things that I just didn't know that, you know, you, you just pick up along the way. But like learning them with no context, learning them with no mentor or with no network to just say, hey, guys, what the hell is this box called? You know, the kind of box that's like this and it looks like this and it flips down like this. Like you just you just have to if you don't know somebody, it's stuff's impossible to, to figure out. So, yeah, yeah that, that's it's all like it's all like industry insider information that they don't bother to publish anywhere. Yeah. If you've, you've communicated at it from outside, it's really foreign to you. Like, again, learning football for the first time. Yeah. You know, as a spectator, you're like, what is this all about? And you're confused, you know, galore until someone explains every little step to you. Yeah, I could keep going with all the different other things <laughs> I learned if you want me to keep going. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the things that I'm, I'm in some ways kind of surprised that Kickstarter, particularly like RPG or, or gaming Kickstarter, mm -hmm. is is actually not littered with more like failures mm. and and by that i mean failures after the fact where a product funds and perhaps funds really really well but, but then you know but but then you hit the the aftermath of yeah. that i that, mean I, you know, i've i've heard i've heard plenty of horror stories about it and i thought hmm. no we're we'll be we'll be fine we'll be the exception and I guess the people that say that they fail, like, you know, there, there's people who do blogs and there's people who, you know, say, here's what, here's what not to do. They don't tell you actually what caused them to fail, right? They just say, oh, they underestimated shipping. So you think to yourself, okay, cool. I'll see what shipping is. And then I'll add another 10 or 15% and that'll be fine. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that, that, they don't tell you like why. So for example, when I was um, shipping out this last box, the shipping from the fulfillment center cost X amount. And I, and I knew that ahead of time, but then I realized like, oh my God, I've actually got to get all these boxes to the fulfillment center for them to ship it out. And that cost me another 900 bucks. And I was like, God, like this money just evaporates <laughs> or like don't go to Gen Con and origins, or at least don't have a, a booth there because like all the little sunk hidden costs for having a booth at, at the big conventions, right? Like you're not going to make your money back. And I thought, Oh no, it'll be fine. It was not fine. <laughs> it, it costs so much more money than we made to go to these conventions. And like, in some senses that was good, you know, like exposure and you get to meet people and all that kind of stuff. But I think I probably could have done it, just as well if I just would have like carried them all around in my backpack and sold them, you know, like just by having a couple of, um, you know, under like the table things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it they, just, um, the, the big cons do get a little bit, do potentially get a little bit snarly if you are selling stuff and you're not actually a vendor. Right. What? Right. No. Yeah. But like, like I made, I guess it was so funny. I had to, there was this, um, local convention called ReaperCon here in uh, North Texas and it's the, the Reaper miniatures, right? Like huge Kickstarters, but their their figures are awesome. Yeah, they are. And and this is a figure convention, right? So we went there and it was so much cheaper to have a booth there and we were only like maybe one of like 20 or you know 25 vendors. So people are coming by all the time and we sold more at that little con and it was like not even a thousand people. 
we sold more at those cons than we did at Origins and Gen Con that were like, you know, in the tens and twenties of thousands of people. So yeah, I, there's a lot we learned. I could just, again, I could just go on. So <laughs> you just let see, me I'm... spin my yarn of like things that we would have done differently. Well, see, I, I mean, I am intimately familiar with this in some regards. And I think that it's important, in, possibly interesting to other people, maybe not, but it, that it's important to get these stories out there mm-hmm. where the 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 serious gamer, but who is still a fan, can actually get some insight into what the process is, you know, what's going on, why, oh, hey, you know, we had a $100,000 Kickstarter. Mm. Why aren't we all rich? Well, because that $100,000 is not what we take home. We have right. to pay writers. Artists. We need to pay printer. We've got to pay artists. We've got to pay for printing. We've got to pay, you know, for shipping and, and all of this other stuff. And well, in the case of the Earth Dawn Kickstarter, it was like, and that also needs to cover like five or six books. Right. And mm-hmm. that that goes away really quickly, especially when it takes you three or four years to fulfill everything. Right. Yeah. I don't want to discourage anybody off of this, but I absolutely want to make sure that anybody who wants to do this kind of thing goes in with open eyes because we, again, we got 83,000 and then after the fact, all these hidden costs, COVID, blah, 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 like the 83,000 has been spent already. Right. And now I'm putting in, you know, uh, personal money personal money yeah like all the time like and it's not like i'm a rich dude <laughs> like uh, no I, I i am not a rich <laughs> dude at all and you know i'm still having to squirrel away money because i will like my integrity won't let me not fulfill this stuff so like it's all gonna happen it's, it, but like if i would have just had a little bit more foresight a little bit more knowledge you know i could have you know saved myself a little bit of this but what i do have hope for is that like hey you know, Opti has proven himself, Frag and Unicorns, you know, did what they said they were going to do so that from now on, I can take all those lessons I learned, do another project, and people will know that they can count on me and I will, you know, have the benefit of of doing this once already. So the next project hopefully will be even better. Yeah. So you're running, you're attempting to run an honest the next business. Project, the next project will have completely different things that you have to learn and that cause you problems. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I mean, like, so like one of the things right now is we, (laughs) I'll just be so honest. I don't, I don't even I'm so so tired of like wearing the mask of like, I have shit together. (laughs) I do not. And and it's easier for me to just tell the truth and look stupid. (laughs) So I, we're working on an RPG right now. We have been for a long time. Uh, The idea for the RPG has been around as long as, Gangs of the Undercity's been around, and it's the role-playing game that's set in that same universe, right? So that makes sense. It's like Gangs of the Undercity, the RPG. It's called Subversion. We want to subvert a lot of tropes in it. It's it's very clever, right? Very clever time. Anyway, so you play these subversives, and the, the cool thing is we threw all these different things that we wanted out of all of our games. Like, what, what don't we like about RPGs? What do we like? Let's put all that stuff. We take a bunch of notes, throw them in a document, like, get this document looking nice, you know, balance all the stuff around each other. We played the game and the game was just so not fun. <laughs> I was like, oh, that is, that is such a disappointment. <laughs> so we we went back to the, not necessarily the drawing board, but we, we like had to rewind a lot of stuff and go back, you know, over a lot of stuff. And that, that like killed me. Like it killed my soul and it sapped all of my desire to keep doing this. And so I just had to like put it down for like two months when like the game we had been working on for like a year or two just wasn't Mm -hmm. fun. And that's what it's like to be a game developer. (laughs) I was a great idea. Oh, wait, it sucks. Oh, gotcha. Right, like on paper, like this game rules and everything's balanced and it's great. But when it came time to actually play it, we were all scratching our heads like, that's not what I want to do right now. Like, that doesn't feel fun. That's boring. Like, I don't want to, you know, it, it was just heartbreaking. It's kind of like, I love money. I hate doing my taxes. Why is it doing my taxes over here? Right. Yes. That's, that's what it felt like. It felt like doing taxes, the role-playing game uh, you <laughs> know, with, with a, with a, with a blue mohawk. And so 
you know, going back and having to redo these things and just focusing on the minutiae till the point where it's mind numbing is the things you don't think about. And you can, if you have a game in mind and you want to play, you want to, you know, make this game and you think, oh, of course I have the formula. You might, but also if you can run it, you are giving the game the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but I could run the game and it could be fine because I'm fudging all the things and filling in all the details. But the moment I gave that RPG and those rules to somebody else, it was unintelligible and they didn't know what to do. Right. And I realized that they didn't have all of the, the things that were filling in the gaps, right? The game wasn't yeah. good. I was good. And I don't mean that in a braggart way. Like, I just mean that like, I was filling in all the gaps for the game because the game wasn't there. Well, it's like watching a master chef create a dish. And if they don't explain everything for the home cook, there's stuff that's going to get lost in translation. Right. Even if you're following the recipe, you still have to have a bunch of, uh, I don't know, preconceived notions or, you know, um, expectations going in. Yeah. And if you have those, if you're, you know, whatever, good GM or whatever, but that's, that's unfair. That's not why you sell books, right? You know, any, yeah. any really great GM could probably just ignore the rules and, and just play on the fly with anything. Um, but if you're wanting to sell a completely new system, right, a completely new role-playing game, then your yep. role-playing game has to be tight and it has to be good, uh, or else Reddit's going to eat you alive. Yeah, and so, shoot holes in it. <laughs> So that's that's one of the things that again it's just it's just hard, and you know when when all this stuff happens with gangs and you realize oh man we don't have the money to do this it's gonna you know it's gonna take some personal money and you have to go back to the well and ask the you know your collaborators like hey you know here's where we are you know blah 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 and and they chip in money because they want to see it succeed like and nobody's been paid yet at all except for the you know the freelancers and whatnot. And then you have this big blow of like, oh, the game's not fun. And like, what about these other games we work on in the background? And like, oh, I guess we'll push those to the back. Like, it all just is so demoralizing sometimes, you know, until, you know, you get to that point where somebody goes, this game rules. Like, thank you for this game. Like, and those those are the things like, okay, good. Like, I'm not super bad at this. <laughs> it just <laughs> takes a long, long time. It takes yeah. a lot of playtesting. It takes a lot of, you know, uh, effort. And with people with jobs and, and kids and uh, family obligations and fragging COVID, like everything is just hard. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like a real job. <laughs> Making money is like a real job. Yeah. So yeah, I don't mean to be depressing, right? Like I just, I want more content out there and I want more creators who are trying to do good, but also know that this is not easy. You know, like for example, there's a reason why, the TTRPG industry doesn't pay good rates. And that's because they don't make as much money when you pay people what they should be paid. Right? And we started paying yeah. everybody like when we when we got freelancers, we're like, okay, we're not even gonna haggle. Like just tell us what rate you want. And then we would pay that. And they weren't, you know, super people weren't being super greedy, but we'd pay them and we'd be like, oh my gosh, that was way more expensive than we wanted it to be. Yeah. And they just again, everything is like that. When you're not cutting corners, when you're not being crappy to people, when you're trying to do the right thing, everything just gets harder and more expensive. Is it especially RPG? To, yeah, especially when you're trying to sell a product for a certain price, you know, people will buy it at versus what you invested in it getting it made. You know, you right. probably charge them triple to be but honest about it. Can we can we, we not can we not get into the side debate? <laughs> Can we not get into the side debate of the perceived value of RPG materials versus what they actually should be charged for? Hey, it's Opti's yeah. show. Like, no, no debate, but I'll tell you why we took the price point that we did with the book is that we had it at a certain price point um, because that's kind of what we could make money off of or whatever. And we took it to a bunch of stores and they said, if this book is more than a D&D book, nobody's going to buy it. People aren't going to buy it. And I was yeah. like, oof. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. There is yeah, there is there is a certain gravity that the economies of scale of Dungeons and Dragons bring to the industry that is just again, it's it's a knowledge, it's an information thing where, you know, Wizards of the Coast is able to charge 40 bucks for a, you know, full color hardcover mm -hmm. because they sell tens of thousands of them and are able to print so many that their cost per unit is redonkulously low. Yeah. Yes. Whereas, you know, we look at 
the cost that it takes us to do a 1000 print run black and white soft smaller cover. size soft cover and you know still need to charge you know 40 to 50 you know need to pay basically charge the same price mm -hmm. um just in order to, to cover things yeah yeah small print publishing is a whole different game than large print publishing yeah and if i could go back in time and just say, listen, I know drawing is hard, but like, trust me, you're going to want to be able to do your own art later. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would do that in a heartbeat uh, because art uh, absolutely sells books and art is yeah, it does. expensive. No yeah. lie. Uh, the, the rule of comics, because I've read comics for a number of years, art gains interest and then the writing will keep people reading. Yeah. After you change artists on whatever book you're reading. So the art grabs their attention and pulls them in. Oh, that looks cool. Let me read what that's about. And then the writing keeps them there. So if you have a game, same thing. Your art, your cover art, your interior art will get get somebody's attention. And if the game is good, they'll stay. Mm. And they'll read all the way through it cover to cover. Or at least that's Absolutely. what you hope. That's what you hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the number I'm of people who read RPGs cover to cover are shrinking. But... <laughs> Yours truly included. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm just throwing. I'm just throwing in my two cents on Opti's interview. So, Josh, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to read RPGs cover to cover all the time. But oh yeah, when I didn't have other responsibilities, <laughs> when that was what I wanted to do. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk a little bit. Let's step away from. Let's step away from the business for a moment, or at least from from the numbers and the money aspect of the business for a moment. Let's talk about the process. Like, talk to me about how about making gangs of the undercity about the process of kind of coming up with everything for that game like that's a broad question but yeah so again i'm i could i could tell you lies but i'm gonna instead go with the truth <laughs> and uh and the truth is is not particularly sexy so here's what happened i there was supposed to be a shadowrun miniatures you know, gang warfare game that was supposed to come out in 2012 and it never materialized. And, and like, I've told the story a bunch of other places, but at a certain point it became really obvious that the folks who held the license were just not going to do that game. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do that game. <laughs> this is my arrogance. <laughs> I'm going to do that game uh, because that's the game I wanted. So I started there with, okay, okay gang warfare between, you know, cyberpunk fantasy gangs. Mm -hmm. And then basically went to all of the war games that I had played previously. What do I like? What do I not like? And then got a certain kind of base mechanic there. And then, I mean, just basically built up the base mechanic because base mechanics in a sort of more gamey, uh, gamey game like uh, a tabletop game, like where there's not a lot of role playing, you know, mm -hmm. and not a lot of like the, the things that you can do are fairly limited, right? You have certain things you can do on your turn and it's all sort of board game ish. Yeah. Um, so you just get down some basic rules and you start throwing dice. And, um, and again, the, the problem is, it's just everybody I know who's into this did not live close to me. So it's trying to find time to like figure out, you know, hey, can we play over uh, tabletop simulator or whatever? So we just started farting around with these. You know, I would say, okay, how many attributes do we need? Like, what do we need for this? Like, how many actions per turn? And we just started talking, and I started writing down things. I cut and pasted um, an entire rule book <laughs> from some from another company, pasted it onto a document, and then just went through changing stuff <laughs> because, like, that was just that's. The, the only thing I knew how to do, like, here's here's some people who had done it before. Then I went to another book. I said, oh, I like this section, so I'll just swap out these sections. And then just, like, spent the next, you know, year and a half, two years just changing everything. Mm -hmm. But here's here's the here's the cool thing. Here's the breakthrough moment. We had a, a pretty good game, but it didn't feel special. It didn't feel like there was anything that that it was doing that other war games weren't doing. So I I left for two weeks on a vacation and I said, okay, um, these two particular 
folks uh, on our team, <coughs> uh, Ryan and Tom, uh, if you guys are listening, good job, Ryan and Tom. Um, but I said, okay, you guys just take a look and and I'm not going to look at this for two weeks. I'm going to be totally uh, incommunicado. So when I come back, I'll see what you guys have done. And they took it and they made really significant changes <laughs> while I was gone. So I got back and they had made, like they had taken out a bunch of stuff, replaced it with a bunch of stuff uh, because I had let them do that. And having new creative juice into it mm-hmm. uh, absolutely cranked the game in a totally different direction. So then after that, it was just play test. It was refining. It was, you know, um, it, it's, it sounds like the process was, was very straightforward, but it wasn't. Like, you know, you just take every little bit and you try to break it and then you move on to another little bit and you try to break that. And then you write a bunch of lore and then you go back and say, Oh, I wish that I didn't write that bit of lore because that makes this particular mechanic hard to simulate. And so you go back and change the lore and then it's just this process of just never ending going back (laughs) and and dancing with different mechanics. And um, eventually a book emerges. But again, if I would have had another year of playtesting, I would have done that, but I'm way way too impatient for that eventually it comes to the point where you say it's good enough let's get it let's like move on yeah that's what i said but like now i have an errata team like you know a a a sort of uh, volunteer errata team that has like a whole mess of errata that they want to push through (laughs) into the pdf and now we have to have this debate like yes this will make the game better but also it will invalidate everybody who has a paper book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I don't want to second editions are for, I don't want to upset anybody. You know what I mean? But like at the same time, like, do we want to use this, you know, this better thing that now that we've had a chance to, you know, play test it for a couple of years. Look, that's, Dan, that's what we're you, can't, you can't move to a second edition or send print until you get rid of the first. <laughs> now I actually have been wondering, like, so, so I don't know about earth on, but like Shadowrun did that. Like they had a, they introduced a second edition which didn't really invalidate anything in the first edition, except for the the core rulebook. It's like I, I find myself wondering, like, is that possible to do? Like, to update things in such a way that it doesn't invalidate anything and just sort of tightens up. So, if I was going to do I that, mean, that's, in, that's what I think I'd do. In in fourth edition, we've done a couple of things like that, um, where because of when stuff was created and the process, or early on, lack thereof. Mm. <laughs> was not yeah. in place um like you know if you look at the first example that comes to mind is if you look at the the bone circle spell the nethermancer spell in the original player's handbook the original the first edition the, the first printing of the fourth edition player's handbook it's basically a retread of the previous edition's version of the spell with maybe a couple of minor tweaks here and there but then when the time came along and we were working on the gm's guide and we're like creating the spirits the basically the rules that we came up with for the bone spirit in the spirits chapter of the GM guide no longer matched what had originally been written for the spell because mm. we wanted the spirits to work a particular way. And so, yeah, there are sort of cases like that, that, that happens in earth dawn and, you know, it, it always becomes the, the new edition and various other stuff is it, it's the eternal, it's the eternal dance. And of course, with Earthdawn, we had the, you know, issue of it being the fourth edition of the game, whereas you're dealing with something brand new. Right. It's hard. It's hard to know the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't. And I don't think ultimately. And this is, you know, this beat doesn't make fans listening happy. There isn't a single right answer. You just kind of make the decision that you make at the time that you have to hand, and you kind of have to live with it after the fact. You know, if I could go back to the beginning of fourth edition, I would be I would really kind of reconsider what we were going to be doing with the form factor of the books. You know, like I I I like the smaller size. I like how it works really well in in sort of tablet ebook format for PDF readers and things like that. I think it works yeah. really great for that. Um, but the smaller size does make the books a lot thicker than they otherwise would. Um, and I know that there are people who, you know, just much prefer the larger physical books. You know, I, I don't know necessarily that I would make a, a different 
decision, but knowing that the core books would, you know, we're going to be over 500 pages and all that sort of thing. That's definitely something that I would potentially reconsider. But at this point, for the sake of like trade dress, like product uniformity, we're kind of locked into that until right. we decide to do something different. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort, a lot of often kind of solitary work and effort. The amount of time that you put into it, you know, it is, you know, perhaps recognized in some regard by the, the devotees. Um, mm-hmm. But even the people who know or, or might think they know don't really know. Yeah. Nothing against nothing against them at all. But, you know, it's it, like your story that you've been talking about here with your process, both with the development of the game and the Kickstarter experience and all of that. I'm hearing this and I'm going, yeah, this is all like super familiar territory. Like the specifics maybe are a little bit different. I have a flashback. But it's all like, yeah, I didn't know going in what I didn't know. And I had the advantage of not needing to like figure out logistics and distribution and all of that stuff that you had to tackle because that infrastructure was already in place a little bit when I came on board. I just had to figure out how to do a new edition and we figured out the Kickstarter thing. Um, is it worth it? You're asking me? Yeah. I'm asking you like we've we've been we've been I mean, look, I'm here now seven, eight years later, still doing it. What but like I mean you I you mentioned I can't answer that now. <laughs> like honestly, like if 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 this was all there ever was like if if Frag and Unicorns did this and nothing else, and this is the this is sort of the end of our story, then like I would say no, like no way, like there's no way this was worth it. Um, mm-hmm. If if we are able to sort of survive this this little slump, right? And if and if our creativity and our our hard work and our dedication pays off, and you know we have another success but things are different because of what we know and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that we'll all feel like, you know, the hardship is worth it. But like, this has been a really hard process and, and it's very discouraging at some points. It's very encouraging at some points, of course. Um, you know, like walking, go, I slept really, really nicely, you know, when I went to bed, you know, when the Kickstarter ended and we were like at 83,000, I was like, yes, that's lovely. I'll take more of that. Thank you. And then, you know, now two years later, or a year later, a year and a half later, we just, you know, we're just tired. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you you don't get the immediate gratification that you would normally get, like, in non-COVID times or mm-hmm. with, um, like, the product we have is a, is a product that requires you to be person to person, you know, and to have a bunch of things set up. So... I yeah. think running an RPG, and this is not to you know say that your job is easier, uh, but I am looking forward to launching a product where I don't have to deal with manufacturing in the same way, you know, where I don't have to coordinate, you know, getting boxes to hold X amount of minis and you know have stuff to hold the you know, where I could just make a book, right? <laughs> like like and the, you know RPGs are a much different animal. In that, like, it's harder to make a good game. Uh, mm-hmm. The mechanics are more complex and and whatnot. But I'm also just looking forward to like when we're done doing that. I know exactly how to make this book and exactly how to distribute <laughs> this book. And because this has been my sphere, I know exactly how to promote this. I can do actual plays. I can, you know, I can get. Uh, I, I just that that is a realm I know more about. So I feel more comfortable hopping into the RPG space. So doing the hard thing first, doing the <laughs> uh, miniature skirmish game uh, with, you know, a billion different sculpts and manufacturing and all this kind of stuff and, and making sure that happens, doing that hard thing and then going from that to something I know a lot about and I'm really comfortable with, you know, in an RPG, I think that's going to be a much more enjoyable experience overall and then hopefully, you know, the bunch of people that we picked up from gangs, along with the people that supported, you know, me and, and what we do, you know, with the with the, the the Earth on podcast and the Earth on writing and the Shadowrun podcast and Shadowrun writing. Hopefully that will be a much 
a much more gratifying process a year and a half out. That was a, again, a long answer to your very straight. No, I, I appreciate, no, I appreciate the, the, the honesty that you have brought to this. Um, and I expected no less from you to be honest, (laughs) which is part of the reason why, you know, hard truths here on the survival guide. Um, (laughs) it's called the survival guide. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I, I like gaming has been a significant aspect of my life for a very long time and jumping in to like actually work on a game and, and learning how much goes into it, you know, gives me such a greater appreciation for the people who like do make it. And yeah. also the reminder that like it takes time. It's like the stuff that, that I hear in like the various writing podcasts and so forth is that the the there's actually it, it is very unlikely for there to be a true overnight success it's right. just that suddenly something like somebody that something somebody has been working on for years suddenly catches the right moment and becomes much more broadly aware and a whole bunch of people hear about it for the first time when you've been kind of you know trudging away in semi-obscurity for right you know a Not year long. two years three years however long it takes yeah um which is yeah. fine, you know. Again, we, you know, we we don't do this to we don't do this for the money. There are definitely easier ways to make money, even leveraging the same skills. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it's so funny. Like I, I will say this though. Like it. Hmm. I have high expectations for the games we put out because when we when we put the games together, we are aiming for big company quality. And here's my, here's my problem, you know, and, and again, just being honest, I think it's a problem that I'm aiming for quality that outstrips what I think we could actually sell. Right. I don't think that, that gangs of the undercity is ever going to sell enough to warrant us having a book that looks comparable to a GW book. And yet that's what we did. <laughs> right. So like I look at a game like blades in the dark and blades in the dark probably cost way less to make than our game. Uh, the art, you know, was black and white, you know, and, and um, obviously done by the same artist and obviously, you know, not nearly as, uh, detailed as what we have in gangs and the uh writing is really straightforward and you know it's not nearly as much lore and whatnot but like they have sold so much and they're doing so well and i'm so happy for them i think i need to start to moderate my expectations right and and i don't need to go and try to compete with wizards of the coast uh or games workshop or or even fasa right like i don't need to try to compete with with people who have been doing this a very long time, because I can't, and I will burn myself out if I keep trying to produce these books to compete with them that are never going to sell that many, and therefore, you know, the the cost benefit analysis is never going to go in my favor if I keep this up. So that's what I'm struggling with my my perfectionism, which I only seem to have in RPGs <laughs> uh, and 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 role playing games where I'm like one of those completionists, but I. I cannot just not do it the way I want it and the way I want is it is expensive and and not very um efficient. A little bit of a cold splash of water. No, I I Yeah. 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 Well, no, I applaud you for having standards at all because I've seen some some books put on the shelves where once I'm like, "Wow, you don't have any standards <laughs> in any way." It's fun. You can get away with <laughs> not having any standards. Checking is free. <laughs> Spell checking is free on your document. Oh, well, that stuff. Yeah, there's no excuse for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just start there yeah. and I'll stop there too. But like, you know, I, hey, I'll, I'll say it. Like, I have been so disappointed with some of the editing on Shadowrun. Like, basically every every book that comes out with Shadowrun, I go, gosh darn it, you guys. Come on. Stuff that I've written, you know what I mean? Like, books that I've written in and like, they come out and they just get slammed. Um, but like, here's the thing. People buy the shit out of Shadowrun and they like and they're yeah. having fun with the game so ask me if i would rather 
<laughs> sell that many <laughs> books and have that many people play the game. And like the worst criticism is like, when are you going to get an editor? It's like, I don't know when you stop buying the game because of it. Because like people are still buying it, you know, even though like they didn't run the spell check or whatever. So I would and they say warts. Yeah, warts I would take that problem over like, wow, Opti put out a great book and nobody plays it. And right? he's got is, and he's got yeah. 10 cases of them in his basement. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have that many, but I do have some. And like, I'm just like, hey, it'd be great if I could sell those because that would um, <laughs> that'd allow me to to get a little back on my investment. But again, in the meantime, we're going to we're going to keep moving forward because we're still excited about everything. Absolutely. It's just uh, man, like I think Josh, you said it best. It's just cold water, right? <laughs> it's like, man, yeah. this is a this is a wake up call. And and it sounds like kind of. You had this idea for a steak dinner and you had to realize I had to grow cows Ooh, first. Yeah. You know, again, if you have a, if you have an artist friend, uh, who can do art for you, or if you're an artist, <laughs> um, and you just want to release, you know what I mean? Like a small time game. Um, you can do that. Like that's actually not terribly yeah. difficult to do if you can like, you know, learn layout. And if you can do like, you know, I've had to learn some Photoshop stuff and some layout stuff along the way, which is not at all what I'm good at. But like, you could totally do this. And if you want to release a game that you have just noodled away with in your free time, um, you know, there, why not? Right? Do it. Yeah, I, absolutely. I absolutely, I, I agree. I absolutely encourage people who are interested in producing game materials to tackle that. Um, but yeah. you have realistic expectations about that. Right. Don't um, expect that you're going to. It's not going to get you. It's not going right. to make you rich. It's not going to make you rich. It's probably not even going to sell more than a hundred copies. But like, that's okay. Like the fact that you did something is cool as shit. And 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 I, <laughs> there is no feeling like having a physical copy of something that you made in your hands. And saying I made this, that is amazing. And and yeah. Josh, you can back me up on this. When you get a new piece of art from an artist, it like lights up all these sort of cool buttons in you. Like, ooh, yeah, that's great. I love that. Or when you hold a you know a book that you made in your hand, or when you see people doing an actual play, you know, from the game, like that stuff. Actually, I mean. That turns you that's on what makes super it worth hard. It. Yeah, <laughs> that that's what makes it worth it. Yes. That I mean, that you know, that you talked about how financially, like Gen Con and Origins were kind of awful. Yeah, but at the same time, I was there at the table for one of the the gangs demos mm -hmm. at at Gen Con, and the energy around the table, like the people playing the game, you know, that's. Right. Like that's the moment where you're where you're that's sitting fantastic. there and you're and you're seeing it happen and you're going and, you know, you're like you as as one of the creators kind of watching this happen and seeing that energy, like at least can kind of see the potential of where that might go, even if at the end of the day, the balance sheet is a little bit in the red. That's why I love going and I love the fact that like every year that I go to Gen Con and I'm running Earth Dawn, I get my like perennial people coming back every year to play the game, but I'm also getting like as many new people coming in and introducing mm -hmm. them and like seeing them, you know, when we have a booth, seeing them come up to the booth later and like buying the books because of that experience that they had. So, uh, yeah. And, and I, yeah, that's yeah. the rush. And, and Josh, you're right. Like, to, to your point, we had somebody playing at that Gen Con tournament and they said, uh, I've been playing miniature war games for years and this is the most fun I've ever had at a table. Like hearing that like really, really energized me. And I think, you know, w at the time it was like, oh, okay, cool, great. That means Gangs of the Undersea is going to sell a lot. Well, <laughs> well it, it didn't. No. But, like that's, that's uh, on the other hand, like, like now reflecting back, I have a mature, a little bit more mature view of it in that actually even if gangs doesn't sell a lot number one i'm happy that 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 person had that experience and number two it means that following our gut on what is fun you know and and following mm -hmm. our gut like and following our heart is like what we want the game to be that was validated so even if gangs doesn't do anything else 
we can feel validated as creators having put something out into the world and then like whatever we do next time have a little bit more confidence that you know hey it's not going to suck we're we're actually decent at this yeah yeah you you achieved what you started out to to aim for which is i wanted to make a fun game that didn't exist in the in the sphere before and now i have you know you know and other people get it i'm gonna be fun. really petty and really honest uh, what i said <laughs> why start now I, I i've been honest the whole time but i haven't been petty <laughs> yes i know <laughs> um, <laughs> the whole reason that i told myself i was starting with gangs of the undercity as opposed to some of the other you know i told you we started fragging unicorns because we wanted to be we wanted to be better, right? We wanted to be the sort of change in the industry we wanted to see. Um, but we started with Gangs of the Undercity for for literally one reason only. And that's because the company that said they were going to make that Shadowrun game said, we don't, we don't know how, it's too hard, we don't have the resources to do this game. And in my head, I thought, well, I bet you do. And I'm going to show you that I can do it on no budget, with no resources, with no infrastructure. And when I do it, and, and no I, knowledge, and, and, a, and a steep learning curve. And when I do, I'm going to wag my finger. <laughs> so this is me wagging my finger, and like that sustains me sometimes. Where it's like I don't well, have anything else other than I did it, I, and I you did said it. you yes. couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, even. Don't tell me people what get I can't stuff do. <laughs> yeah. Even even if looking back, you perhaps understand a little bit of the mental yeah. math or business math that went into the decision yeah. they may have made, which was looking at that and and you know market research and having you know people with MBAs and stuff like yeah. that looking and going, we can't make money at this. Yes, I understand why they didn't <laughs> do it. <laughs> But still, but still, you're still wrong. Right. I did it. But still, <laughs> but still, something awesome exists in the world, and I had a hand in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in and in the end, that's that that's the lesson I think that we should all take away from this. Yeah, put put your energy out into the world. Do it. Yeah. If you have something you want to make, go, go ahead and good and and make it. Um, just you know, just be, ask Opti questions first. <laughs> Yeah, well, ask <laughs> ask questions, like learn, do as much as you can to like talk to people and like soak up as much like secondhand knowledge as you can from the people who have sort of been there before to potentially avoid the same mistakes that they made. But also just the more that you learn, the more that you know, the more... Your well, your creative well is filled in order to to draw stuff away from. I mean, that's right. why I back far too many RPG Kickstarters is because I see the cool things that are out there and I'm like, ooh, I want to have this so that I can maybe someday read it and like steal ideas from it. Yeah. Um, and also, or just read it and enjoy it. You know, the the people that are worth anything in this industry, and I think Opti, you can probably, hopefully you can back me up on this. Cool. But I think the people that are worth anything in, in this in this industry, because you and I both know there are plenty of people in this industry who aren't worth anything. They are worth um, things as people, but their contributions. Are yes, <laughs> right. Let, let's let's put it that way. But the people that are worth anything in this industry are generally happy to offer advice and support when approached with the appropriate humility. Yeah, I, like, I think that's true. You know, that, that you know, I, because we are all very busy, you know, especially yeah. those of us who, who don't have this as a full-time gig, but we're all very busy. And yeah. so, but we're also, we want, again, we're all in this because we love it. And so when somebody else is excited enough and loves it enough to want to try and do it themselves, we kind of want to help them succeed because that success kind of like, gets shared around everybody like that's a positive uh, thing it's a it's a kind thing to do and yeah. also it tickles a little bit of that ego <laughs> well like, yeah oh, somebody's coming to me so like yeah it's it's a no-lose situation and if if you ever approach somebody and they're like they're just a giant dick to you like that's a character problem on right their part like there, yeah. there's just i can't foresee yeah. a time where I would blow somebody off and not give an honest attempt to help because that's just, 
it's like the the bare minimum of like like just being a decent person. Yeah. And like that's that's what I strive for, the bare minimum of being a decent person. <laughs> and well, I've known you for a few years now and I think you clear that bar by quite a significant amount. Handily. Sweet. Sweet. For what's for what that's worth coming from me. It means a lot cuz you're a pretty cool dude yourself. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight, Opti. I appreciate you agreeing to come on the show. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate these insights. And I hope our listeners were as fascinated by this as I was. Me too. I was happy to learn. I was happy to meet you. I'm very happy to meet you, sir. Uh, You made me laugh, which we could all use a whole lot more of in the first place. Definitely, we're going to get your product out there as much as we possibly can. Hopefully, this show gives you a small bump in sales. Um, so fragging unicorn, fragging unicorns.com and literally unicorns any sales an will yeah. give us a bump. <laughs> yeah. So fragging unicorns, <laughs> plural.com. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, Opti, absolutely all the best of luck in everything you're doing. I still, I commend you. I applaud you. I am having for the first time met you. I am oh. proud of you for doing what you said you were going to do and putting out quality product for everyone to enjoy that is going to pick this up. That. Thank you so much. And it was great to meet you as well. And Josh, it was great to, Pleasure great to talk to you again. Yeah, always great to hang out with you, man. <laughs> cool. Uh, so until next time, folks, please go to fraggingunicorns.com and pick up this game. And all the rest that Opti's going to put yes. out for you. Buy one of everything. <laughs> exactly. Or nothing. I do. Just, just browse and then share. <laughs> Bye. Good night, everybody.